welcome to Making Movies is Hard, a podcast about the everyday struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Purcell. And I'm Kwong Lee. Yes, that's right. This week we have a guest co-host. Wow, welcome to the show, Kwong. Exciting. Just for people to know, Timothy is not dead. He is all good. Uh, he's just uh, need to take a little bit of a mini break. He'll be back next week uh, with a vengeance. But Kwong, just for people who maybe ha- didn't listen to your episode, can you just give me like a like a 30 second breakdown of who you are? Super quick. Sure, sure. I'm Kwong Lee. I'm a Bay Area filmmaker. Um, I've made a couple of features. My first one is called Buddy Solitaire, which is currently streaming on Amazon Prime. And my second, um, I directed but didn't write it. It's a family comedy called Best Mom. I also, I'm in the video production uh, community here in the Bay Area. That's, that's how I know both um, uh, you, Alric, and our guest, Maria. Yeah, so uh, Kwong, just as, as the special co-host, do you want to give Maria a grand uh, introduction? Sure, sure. This is um, Maria Mayela, and she is a filmmaker, a feature filmmaker, a new feature filmmaker in the Bay Area, um, uh, very active in the community, uh, collaborating with many of uh, our, our all of our mutual friends, and a uh, wonderful filmmaker. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for that wonderful little <laughs> intro. <laughs> Hi, Maria. Hi. Uh, thanks for joining us. Um, just a little bit more backstory. So many, many episodes ago, we had Gavin Murray on the show, um, who first mentioned Maria. I don't know if he mentioned on air or off air, but he was uh, prepping for uh, your movie, uh, Bring Me an Avocado. And at that time, he was like, we should definitely get Maria on, get Maria on. And then uh, it just took us this long. And uh, <laughs> now you've shot Bring Me an Avocado, and it's all gone well. And I'm so excited to have you on the show. Yeah. And Gavin is amazing. He's like one of my favorite humans on the planet. So I was happy for the shout out so early in the early in the game, many, yeah. many moons ago. Yeah. And a lot has happened since then. I mean, my goodness, um, you guys had so much success. A lot has happened since then. <laughs> some ups and some downs, um, you know, but I, I really can't wait to hear all about that stuff. But before we get into the meat and potatoes, uh, give us just a one minute bio of, of who you are and what you do. Cool. So I am a Bay Area female filmmaker. I'm originally from Bolivia. Both my parents are Bolivian and I grew up there. Um, I moved to Austin first off to study theater <laughs> as soon as I graduated high school. So I'm a theater major. Um, I went to school at a small little Catholic university called St. Edward's University because back then Catholicism made me feel safe since I come from mm-hmm. a tiny third world country. Oh, how, how things have changed. Um, and then I moved to San Francisco thinking that I was going to pursue theater here actually it was like my smaller stepping stone instead of moving to new york and what happened instead was i discovered the film community in the city and transitioned almost immediately i think i didn't do any theater once i got here and i've been working in theater here i mean last year last week was my 10-year anniversary of living in san francisco so i've been working in film in the Bay Area for the last 10 years. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. So when you first got here, did you do theater? Uh, how, how long did you do theater for? Was it like a year or less than a year before you transitioned? Less than a year. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And and how did you transition from theater to video? Are you guys familiar with the co-op Scary Cow? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I got like a Facebook ad for Scary Cow. <laughs> on like the corner of my Facebook back then and I was like oh I'll try to check this out I thought Scary Cow was kind of a weird name 
Um, but I went there and like everybody was super kind and they were like, if you can pitch a movie, you can make a movie. So I pitched a little story and made my first short and then like was hooked on it, even though I had no idea what I was doing. I don't even I didn't even have craft services. I didn't even have water, I think, <laughs> like, wow. halfway through the first day of, like, shooting in Golden Gate Park. I was like, I think I'm going to get drinks for everyone. Everybody looks thirsty, you know? And that's how I discovered craft services. That's awesome. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it come a long way. And that was definitely my first stepping stone into the film community. Wow, awesome. And then from there, now you work, don't you work full-time in video production also? Yeah, I work as a creative producer in the Bay Area. That's pretty amazing that you went from, you know, Scary Cow, like from theater to Scary Cow to being like a full-time professional. I guess... I don't know if I heard that exact story before. Usually it's like, oh, I do video. I found Scary Cow to make movies and I make movies with Scary Cow and I do video on, you know, as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I just am a storyteller, I guess, you know, like more than anything else. So I felt that st- script writing transition was pretty easy for me, like from writing theater scripts to writing film scripts. I actually felt like there was a lot more freedom in it when you're not, you know, writing for the stage. Um and Scary Cow, like, I, I owe a lot to that little co-op. I, like, will sing them praises all day long because, um, when you, I mean, it's such a op- great opportunity to just meet people that are willing to learn as they go, you know. And I definitely, like, climbed up the ladder making, like, short films and work trade. And I think work trade is, like, how a lot of our passion projects get made, especially when we're making shorts and music videos, you know. We're all willing to work together, and it's how how we build community in the Bay Area. Nice. So you were in Austin, and then you moved to San Francisco for theater. Did you ever think about going to New York or L.A., or was it always just San Francisco because of the theater that we have here? Um, you know what? I It was more San Francisco for it not being New York or L.A. <laughs> than it was for the theater you have here. I'm like... <laughs> why, why, why is that? I'm just curious. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm like not about New York or LA as much. And I think it's because they're both like such opposite poles. And I'm my comfort zone is like smack in the middle, if you will. Um, New York is just like packed with people, you know. Um, it's like so intense. I like vacationing in New York, but I want to be out of there by like day five. Okay. Um, and LA is the opposite. It's like so spread out, you know, <laughs> like the idea of like having to get in my car to go get a cup of coffee or get in my car to go get groceries. Like it's just not appealing to me at all. Yeah. <laughs> and I think San Francisco is like not only aesthetically beautiful, but it's got like the best of both worlds where there's like a decent art community um just people on the streets everywhere you know <laughs> um in la it's kind of like concrete jungle if you're trying to walk somewhere yeah i just said it is kind of a special place you know san francisco bay area yeah i love it and uh i i have been visiting la more recently and i have been finding that there are neighborhoods where you can walk to coffee mm-hmm. and you can go walk to groceries you know so that does exist in los angeles um despite you know, all our Bay Area uh, thoughts and, and rumors or I don't know, just uh, perception, I guess, is probably the best word, perception of Los Angeles. But uh, it's definitely not every neighborhood. But there there are, I, I mean, I met a lot of people who do like just walk to coffee in the morning, you know, yeah, and get to walk to movie theaters. That was the biggest thing for me. Walking to a movie theater is like what I love about my neighborhood. Totally. And uh not having that would like, you know, drive me insane. Totally, totally. Yeah. Why don't we get started with the main topic stuff here? I'm curious, and let's 
Kwong, do you have any uh, questions about Maria's background or anything? No, that's that's a great story of how you tra- made your transitions. And um, <clears throat> at what point in your process did you th- did you think, hey, I'm ready to make a feature? And, and was there a, a short film or a project that made that gave you that confidence to to make that step? Um, so I actually have like a secret feature that I never released. <laughs> Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, Bring cool. Me an Avocado is my second feature, technically speaking. And that is because I had made three shorts before I decided to make my feature, um, which is not enough film experience at all. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's, that's, that, I mean, that's, that's a great, I mean, yeah, that three is not that many, so good for you. No, I mean, and I would totally call, like, my first film was called Women and Cigarettes, which... I made when I was 23, and the best criticism I got about it was somebody once told me, um, if you were writing a film about a screenwriter, his film would be Women in Cigarettes. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, that's not something you actually call a film. That's funny. Um, but I made it when I was 23, and you know, like my mentality, and as a storyteller, I've changed so much. And it's actually like, I would rate that film like... It's like a B plus eighties movie that I made in like the early two thousands. <laughs> and and why didn't you ever release it? Was it just because you you weren't happy with it, or what's um, what's up with honestly, that? Honestly, like I didn't even know that the film festival circuit existed when I made that movie. Oh, interesting. <laughs> like I was aware of like the two big film festivals, but I didn't. Again, like I was so new to film, you know, that I didn't really understand like the indie film community or that world at all. Did you try to get distribution for it or did you just make it? Not at all. Wow. I just made it. And have you thought about going back and releasing it now, now that, you know, you have a little bit more info about the film industry and stuff? I don't think so. I mean, you if you guys want to come over, I'll show it to you guys over like, you know, a couple of beers. <laughs> it exists and it's here. But again, like as a storyteller, I've evolved, you know, and I wrote that when I was 23. So, I mean, sometimes Facebook will like show me memories from when I was 23 and I'm like, oh, delete that, right. you know. <laughs> don't want anybody digging right. that out of my past. <laughs> it, it could be a special feature on uh, the Bring Me Avocado Blu-ray. You there know? you go. <laughs> yeah, that's that. People love seeing that stuff. But that that shows a lot of ambition, Maria. That you were like you're you're so young and you and you mounted your own feature, uh, your first feature. That's 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 a lot of ambition. So I, that's amazing. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I wish I did that, but <laughs> I didn't. Um, and I still haven't done it yet. <laughs> Soon. Getting there. Soon, Close. Alric. Totally. Soon. Closer every day. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm curious. You've got the script that you've written. You you wrote the script, right? For the for your feature? Yes. So you have the script. You want to make this movie. How do you get started with the fundraising aspect of it for Bring Me an Avocado? Originally... I was hoping to just be able to get people to invest in it. That was yeah. like plan A. <laughs> that's not that's not that hard, right? No big deal. Yeah, not hard at all. Um, and then Seed and Spark had this rally with the Duplass brothers, and they announced it. And uh, we decided we were going to try our luck at that. I actually think that they're hosting another one right now like if anybody wants to sign up for it now so they can. so wait hold on i'm gonna stop you really quick so but that was kind of later on in the process right like you had already like gotten some of your crew together you'd already done a bunch of your planning at totally that point. Yeah, yeah yeah so we had like a few of the key members of our crew already like so gavin who we mentioned earlier in the film is like the sole reason that this movie exists um i write 
a ton, like a shit ton, because it's like the one part of the craft that I have full control over. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I will write like short films, like I have two features accumulating cyber dust, you know, that I wrote. Um, and this one, like I happened to share with Gavin and he was like, hey, let's make it. And it was like his vote of confidence and him being attached to the project so early that made me be like, all right, cool, let's fucking make it. That's awesome. Yeah. Again, Gavin's great. <laughs> um, and at that point, we attached like the keys, like production designer, which was Melanie Landro, and then Bianca Beirudi as one of the producers and Natalie Keneally as executive producer. So we had like that small team to start working it we knew that we wanted to work together and then i did have like a few people who like were like we're, we're interested in throwing down money for this we want to see this make it happen so we had like initial funds then so those initial funds those are just people that you knew that you approached about the project yeah okay and i didn't actually approach them with like hey you you interested in funding this project it was it was again like things if at the time before i hit like the roller coaster of everything that can possibly happen you know when you're trying to make an indie film it felt like things were happening really organically you know like two people were like oh and two totally different people who don't know each other were like i'm you know willing to support this like let me know if you want me to support i'm willing to throw down for it and i hadn't approached them asking them for money i just like approached them with the story i was excited to let them know that i was gonna do this oh wow so you didn't even really pitch them they just you kind of just told them you're making this movie told them the story and they were like oh if you need anything let us know totally wow and you're like in fact i could use something yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome did you ever do like like actual investor pitches before the duplass brothers rally or was it really just those those couple people that had initially um, expressed interest, and then from there, you just went on the other part of it. No, we did a bunch before and then after. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, and for how, sure. And how did you find your the people that you're pitching, and then how, and how did you approach your pitches? I'm asking this because I'm pitching right now, and I, I want as much information on how other people pitch. Yeah, <laughs> and like the best thing I can tell you is ask, talk to everyone about it and pitch it to everyone. So one of the people that came on who is like, and again, I'm just going to, you guys can choose what you want to edit out of this because I'm going to tell you guys real human stories here. <laughs> protecting names but real human stories one of them like in one of my lives i used to work at a nonprofit, past lives and one of the guys in like accounting of the nonprofit is a really good friend of mine and we were sitting together and i was telling him about the film and that i was fundraising and he was like hey my roommate uh studied film in ucla and he's trying to get back in so he might be interested in like throwing down and i was like cool let's all meet for a drink you know and we met for one drink and he was an awesome guy um and he ended up coming in for like a substantial amount of money for our like small film um and it was like over one set of drinks where we ended up talking about like our impending mortality you know and what it's like (laughs) to be creatives which is one of my favorite types of conversations and it came out of nowhere it was just like talking to a friend that has nothing to do with film or the arts really you know he's an accountant Um, And he introduced me to his roommate who happens to be in the arts. So, again, like, there's nobody that, like, can't open a door for you, you know? Like, it's it's all, like, like roots to a tree, you know? They, like, lead places you'd never imagine them going. So, when you went to this meeting, did you have, like, um, a deck ready to show them or anything like that? Totally. Okay. And I didn't... 
so I think that one of the biggest things that I learned with decks is like, don't pull it out until you're saying goodbye. Like the deck is for them to watch on their own time. You know, it's not like you're having drinks and then you're going over your deck and you get to explain it, you know, like the human interaction and sincerity yeah. and just like full passion for your film is more important, you know, and also like knowing who you're getting into bed with really is more important. Yeah. Yeah, I had that same experience. I, I would always bring the deck, but I wouldn't bring it out unless needed. And then usually it would be like, oh, I'll email it to you, um, you know, tomorrow or after this meeting or whatever. Totally. Because people like things in email form more than they like physical form, I think. I think it depends. These days. I think that physical form, like, I mean, it's it's also important to feel it out, you know. It's important to have something there right. with you that you're like, you know, the card up your sleeve that you can wow them with this like beautiful thing that they're welcome to take exactly. with them, you know. But it also, I mean, it, it also happened to me that like I went with like my deck in my purse and then my deck made it back home with me because like during the meeting I was like, all right, this is not right. meshing well, you know. <laughs> I don't want this guy to leave with my film. Like, that was a different experience that I had, you know? Oh, interesting. Uh, so you were like, you didn't want that person involved. Yeah, in totally different person, obviously. The first one right, we were right. speaking about came on. Okay, th- now, so, okay, I'm sorry, but I, I was going to, like, just move on, but I'm just curious. Like, so what about a, a potential investor would make you not want them involved in the movie? Um, like, you can be very general here. You don't have to use the specifics. Intentions? I don't know. This is like a weird thing. This is one of those things where it comes to like being like a woman in film, you know, Uh, Natalie and I were meeting. And I mean, again, not everybody shows like their red flags as obviously, (laughs) but Natalie and I were out to drinks with this one guy and he just had like sleaze written all over him, you know? Oh, wow. Like he was, um, he was more interested in you guys uh, as just like, women like, than the movie, basically. I mean, I don't want to say necessarily like so much us as women, but there was just like a sleaze component to him, you know, where I was like, this guy's just going to be toxic throughout this project, you know? Oh, no. Um, wow. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have yet to pitch to somebody who I wouldn't be very happy to have them on my yeah. team. I mean, this one but, was really, and again, yeah. like we had experiences where the red, the red flags aren't always obvious we had a like two we we pushed the project twice be, because people said they were gonna come in with you know come in and help out with with funds and then for one reason or another that didn't happen and one of them was one of these like people it's weird you know <laughs> like the kind of people that you meet when you're fundraising for a film like the people who want to invest in a movie and have nothing to do with the film industry you know there's all kinds of people out there like that well i, def- uh, I definitely you know <clears throat> um through you know, I worked with you know we mentioned Gavin before I worked with him on a couple of uh, corporate things and he was always always championing the film and like he was telling me how you guys had setbacks but he was always one hundred and ten percent so it's really heartening for me to hear that story that he was the person in the beginning that you know inspired you to 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 make the film in the first place so. I, I love that. It's an amazing story. Thank you. Yeah, I love Gavin. He's the best. You know, I, you know, if it's okay with you, Alec, um, I, I would like to kind of take a step back. I mean, I would. I've heard about this movie, you know, for the last couple years uh, from other friends. But can you tell me what the movie's about and what inspired it? Yeah. So, Maria, t- what, what's what's Bring Me an Avocado about, and, and what inspired uh, the the story? Okay, so it's like a huge changing gears. <laughs> Um, Bring Me an Avocado is about a young family experiencing grief in the aftermath of a gun violence incident that leaves the mom in a coma. Um, And it's just basically like a father figure with his two young daughters and then 
the mom's sister and best friend who are trying to like weigh in to make sure that the girls have like a woman in the house um and how you experience grief in the face of uncertainty if you will because with a mom in a coma you don't actually know um what's going to happen right so there's like a certain amount of you who wants to like keep things positive and like a positive mentality and it's all going to be over the, that like pending it might be over it might not you know mm -hmm. changes the way that you experience trauma and grief it's, that sounds intense it sounds very like yeah a very emotional film um it is emotional it is there's also like two little girls at the forefront of it so it's a lot more tender than you'd imagine you know when there's when the film is about adults trying to deal with kids you know yeah it kind of changes the and is the perspective from the kids or from the adults um it's like watching in on them but i think mainly like the dad's struggle okay cool and did this come from like something that happened in your life or was it something more like you just you know hearing stories about these kinds of things or so i started i started writing the film in 2014 and in 2014 my mom got diagnosed with early onset dementia and i think that it was the grief in the face of uncertainty like how do you grieve for somebody that's still here right mm. um that having those ideas and those feelings so fresh in my head kind of led to like how to put this on paper, you know? Um, yeah. Which wow. is how I came up with like a woman in a coma, you know, like when she's there, but she's not really present with you, you know, and how more than anything, like the family dynamic around that, you know, people react to that kind of stuff completely differently than you'd anticipate or than you'd even imagine yourself reacting. Wow. That's awesome. And then the, the kids that you wrote into the story, are they based on, um, kids that you know or how did you come up with the kid characters because i know from my own experience it can sometimes be hard to write for children you know but uh yeah did, did you have like a blueprint that you worked off of um no actually i there's i write kids a lot i think it's one of my odd little strengths i know people usually struggle with that but i just created them i mean i have a little sister and she's not that little she's 29 oh. <laughs> um but we were both little at some point you know so there's definitely a lot of our dynamics um growing up written into these two characters right right that makes sense yeah. so you kind of just used your memories of your childhood as like sort of a way to, to get started totally yeah Maybe. that was the blueprint yeah. if you will nice awesome yeah i have a nephew who's four so i'm i'm basically trying to use him as my blueprint mm -hmm. although I, I wrote this movie before he was born the one that i'm working on <laughs> so as he gets older it's like oh i can pull things now from that he that he says and put it into the script you know and like make it more authentic um how many of how many revisions have you already made of that script now that you're your nephew's four. Uh, I'm on 13 now. Yeah, number 13. Sounds about right. What, what, how many did you make on your story? Um, I think we shot the 18th version of oh, it. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, I still have a little while to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know it's going to be changed again once I cast. I haven't cast it yet. I know it's gonna. I'm going to rewrite once I have the cast um, confirmed, totally. you know? But, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I mean, I feel like that's the best way. When I hear about people shooting their second or third drafts, I'm always like pulling my hair out like but you know that works for some people um i'm just that's definitely not how i can function hey buddy solitaire what i did 23 before we shot 23, yeah, 23 okay yeah mm -hmm. i was worried that you're gonna say <laughs> that no, you did too <laughs> no way no way it's like that that's yeah. like folly that would be just folly to do your to shoot your second draft yeah i agree hey listeners out there if you've uh shot your second or third draft for your feature let us know because um, <laughs> I want to hear how that works. We all think you were wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
I don't know if it's true, but I, I heard some story that Lena Dunham, like, like her tiny furniture movie was like, she wrote it in a week and then like shot it like two weeks later or something like that. I don't know if that's true. I've tried watching that movie three times and have been unable to get through it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say without saying anything besides this, that uh, that movie frustrates me to a big, big degree. I saw it in the theater. I was very excited. I was like, female Woody Allen. I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And I saw this movie, and I'm like, this is not what was advertised. Yeah. I mean, I tried just out of, you know, loyalty for the movement to watch it, and I couldn't finish it. It was definitely not my, my cup of tea. Yeah. One great reason why I think we do so many drafts of our uh, our features is because we know it's not just us in a room writing. We have other people's money on the line. So I think for all of us, we're like, hey, this we need this to be good. To, to make sure that other people's investment in time and money comes through, right? So I think it's not only just our own creative uh, vision, but we just want to make sure it's good for the people who invest in us. Yeah, and, and also the time of all the crew Absolutely. and all the people who are working with you on it, you Absolutely. know? Yeah, I agree. Like you want to do everyone justice who's helped you out, you know? Because we all need lots of help to make a movie. You can't do it alone. Yeah, I know? mean, I would, put, I would put crew first on that list, actually. Totally, yeah. Yeah, I've been, I mean, my key team have been with me now for like two and a half years, you know, and it's not like they're getting paid hourly or their day rate <laughs> for the amount right. of work that they put into it. You Re- know? Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I definitely feel like I owe them like the best film possible for sure. You know, um, it's 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 cool hearing about your your uh, your approach to writing and then you're so prolific. I, I'm curious about... What's your what's your writing process? I mean, do you uh, do you write every day? Do you kind of uh, have different things that you're working on? Tell, walk us through a little bit of your writing process. Um, so I have a notebook of just ideas that I take with me every day, and uh, every so often the idea is like more like already arrives to me, really developed. You know, like I already have an idea of where it's going to go and how it's going to end. And those films, I mean, it's it's not, I think it's more like the film as its own entity who, like, wants to come out, you know, and wants to just, like, be purged. So it's not so much that I, like, sure. sit and write for half an hour every day, you know. Um, I'll write ideas as they happen. You know, you'll be on BART and you have an idea, you write it down. Yeah. But every so often, like, the idea is, like, just fully fleshed. And then I just have to make time to write it down because I'm thinking about it all the time. So... I won't stop thinking about it until it's on paper. And a lot of them are like, once it's on paper, I'm like, ah, you know, it's a good read, but not worth making, you know? Yeah. (laughs) So it's just going to stay there forever. Um, I'm glad I got it out of my system. And other ones, you know, I'm like excited to share. I think that that's like the biggest thing. Like once I've shared it with another person that I trust, then there's like the potential that that one might come to life turn into the collaborative art that we're also addicted to. That's cool. So it's very like you have a process of inspiration, it seems almost. Yeah, totally. You, have you ever read, have you guys ever read the book by Stephen King on writing? He has no, this really but great I'm ad- dying to read that one. Yeah, I think you would love yeah, it. Because I've he's read got it, this, yeah. He's got this great, I don't remember this analogy he has, that is that writing is like being an archaeologist. Like the, the stories are buried underneath the ground as fossils. And it's our job as writers not to create these stories, but just to, to delicately find them from where they are buried in the ground and they come like you're saying maria kind of fully fully formed Mm -hmm. exactly yeah timothy recently uh took a month off of work 
and wrote every day and used the the on writing book as a template to how to how to approach his daily writing. Oh, that's great. So he basically took everything that Stephen King wrote in that book and applied it to himself and then did that for a whole month and then um came on the other side of it with a with a story. That sounds like the best vacation self-imposed <laughs> retreat ever. Yeah, that's yeah. rad. <laughs> Apparently he's doing it again soon. Um, you know, to get to do another another round of it um in the fall, but uh yeah, there's a whole podcast that we we did just talking about that experience and how it went. So we'll put the link to that one in the show notes so people can check that out. So how many scripts have you written, Maria? How many features? I've written, including Bring Me an Avocado, I've written three features. And I have the treatment and a few scenes written for two more features. Nice. Awesome. So are you already working on what you think will be your next feature now? Or like, do you know what that will be? Um, or are you just still focused on Bring Me an Avocado? Almost my full focus is on Bring Me an Avocado right now, just because we're like, you know, we're like so close to picture lock, you know, and like sound design is happening right now and all that stuff. So it's like consuming a lot of my mind. But actually, I'm, there's been in the same way that I was just talking about, like a different how like the stories find you and then they want to get out. I'm like working on a short film right now. It's like a magical realism piece. <laughs> oh, fun. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And uh, when are you going to shoot that? Do you have shoot dates lined up yet? I don't. I, I'm still like, I just finished writing a version to where I'm comfortable sharing it with people. And this one's like, oh, okay. this was a little bit out of my comfort zone. So it's probably going to take a second. There's going to have to be like a lot of green screen and oh, okay. there's a lot of magic in it. <laughs> oh, fun. Yeah. That's exciting. So I wanted to go back because the whole like losing your funding thing is like a nightmare that I have um, all the time. Um, you know, now that I have a little bit of funding mm -hmm. and the way that I've been dealing with it is I just try to get collect as much of the money um, up front as I can. Like as soon as the investor agrees to 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 back the movie i'm always like just very lightly very like you know um respectfully just checking in on well when you're gonna send in the check when are you gonna send in the check you know that kind of thing mm -hmm. and then most of them have sent in checks so i i have a good amount of it already secured but i'm just curious like when you lost your funding like both times well how did you bounce back from that and like what was your reaction to that happening so the first time i was more like shocked than anything the, the first time was like somebody that said that they would come in like on the initial meeting and then we met like three more times and like the more we met the more I was like we're just hanging out now and it's like harder to talk to him about this you know and slowly he stopped answering emails and I was like all right this isn't gonna happen without him ever saying like that he was backing out like Natalie and I understood that he was backing out you know uh, okay I hear you it came to a point where we were like okay you know like he's answering emails now once every two weeks like we can't count on this being here so we should just postpone the shoot and eventually we lost track of this guy who lives in my and, neighborhood and, and we use the same laundromat <laughs> wow um and, and what year was this when this, this was end of I want to say like end of 2016 early 2017 okay Okay. In this process. Yeah. Um, and after that, we were like fundraising a little more. And then we did the Seed and Spark thing. So it was weird because we like ended the Seed and Spark thing super successfully, you know. And then we had this other thing happen on the side. So it was like really hard to balance where right. our accumulated audience thought we were, you know. 
based on where we actually were. I was on board as your script supervisor and you had dates and everything. Exactly. And I can't remember how soon before the shoot that we got the email from Bianca saying that it was getting postponed, but I felt like it was like a week or something like that. Like, it, was it was like pretty close. Yeah, 10 days, I think. Wow. And it was crazy. I mean, that was brutal. Like, especially like being the second time and then happening so close to the to the shoot dates, you know, I was like, I don't know how we're going to recover from this, you know. And, and can you talk about why the investor came, uh, pulled? Was it just a personal reason that had nothing to do with the project or you or the movie? This one was actually kind of shady. Um, oh, which is uh, I mean, we ended up to make like a long story short, it ended up being a person who has like apparently has like a record in Daily City for like scamming small Com- small like companies and you know nonprofits. Oh and shit, stuff. that sucks. Oh wow. Uh, oh man. So yeah, that one was like very real. I mean, I ended up having to talk to like a lawyer about it. You know, like how to get advice on this. And then when we realized that like that was out, I mean, thankfully it was like a clean cut. You know, and we're not like tied up in it with. So this. when you, so what did you do? You approached this guy like, hey, are you scamming us? And then he was like, oh yeah. Bye. Um, was it was it like how how did that conversation go? So he, so this is so this is what happened. He said that he was gonna. So he was giving us the funds, and his credit card got declined. Um, his his debit card, credit card, whatever got declined. And when we 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 went back to him to ask him about it, he said that he had gotten charged twice. Um, and then was oh. asking that we, you know, and he was like, oh, that's so much more than I intended to give. Oh wow. Um, you know, I need the money back. Oh, wow. And he got like super messy, you know. Um, and, and, and he it, was like, like, oh, just transfer me the money back and then I'll transfer you the thing. No, oh, he gosh. was just like, give me like half of my money back, you know. Wow. That's more than I was intending to give. And I was like, we don't have it. It's not, we don't have it, you know. Um, he, he was basically just trying to pull a fast one on you guys totally. somehow. And it ended up escalating wow. like a lot. We were like, hey, can you just authorize us to speak with somebody at your bank? You know, and he wouldn't do that. And I was like, all right, this is like so shady. Why wouldn't he? Like that would that would be the first thing that I would do. <laughs> like if I if I if my card got charged twice for every for something, I would go to my bank first. You know, that sounds so sketchy. I'm sorry you had to deal with that. Yeah, it was super sketchy. And um and I mean, how did you find this person in the first place? How did how did they get involved? It, so the, the word so here's again like the the cautionary tale. Like I insist, like talk to everyone. You know, people are generally good, and uh, you find people interested in your project and art through like the craziest ways that you'd never think so. And then you also have to be like really cautious because you know there are other people out there that are sketch. And this one is actually was a friend of a friend's. <laughs> um, he even like he came to our like party for when we launched our seed and spark party he came there you know he met everybody on the team so it's not like it was like a stranger you know um wow which was even more shocking just a con artist of some kind totally um and i'm like i mean more than like oh upset i was like (laughs) like if i ever the first like three weeks after this happened i was like if i run into this guy i'm gonna like smash his head against a wall you know (laughs) (laughs) i was like so angry that i had to go through that you know here's Um, here's a question for you guys um you know as as filmmakers as directors we have to do a lot of producing um especially as first-time filmmakers as you mm -hmm. guys both know like how how do you for myself i often struggle with you know, the sort of, I guess, quote-unquote purity of being a, a, a creator, writer, a, a creative person with a sort of, like, 
getting into the weeds, the nut, like the nuts and bolts of producing. How do you, how do both of you guys, well, actually, especially you, Maria, how do, how do you deal with that? Do you feel those, those are two separate sides or do you feel it's one all part of filmmaking? What, what are your thoughts on those two different aspects of creativity and production? I mean, or producing. So I have the producing experience, right? I'm a creative producer and I work on like corporate and commercial stuff. So it's definitely there in the back of my brain always, no matter what. We had two producers, co-producers on Bring Me an Avocado, which were Bianca Beirudi and Alex Maloney. And they are incredible as a team. Um, and individually, obviously. But as a team, like I just felt so comfortable having them both there um, because they complemented each other so well. 2017, especially in pre-production, I felt like I was producing and fundraising the entire year. Like, I dragged myself out of 2017 without feeling like I had done anything creative at all, you know? So I definitely feel that there's, like, that difficulty. The dream is to just be able to direct and write and focus on the art, right? But you are, um, when it's your baby, you know, I think the production aspect of it is always in the back of your head because you want it to live and you want it to be a positive experience for everybody, right? Yeah. Um, I think it's hard to detach from that in the, in the world of indie production. Yeah. Did that answer your question? Especially since you're not really paying people, right? Like you can't really expect your producers to do all the work, you know, without you chipping in because then you would feel like kind of guilty that you're like leaning on these people who aren't getting paid and are just doing it because they love your project you know, as much as you do, but it's like, oh, you gotta be, you know, pulling, pulling your weight too. Right. Totally. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I've always been like, ever since I started filmmaking, I've always been tied to doing the producing as well, just because I've, I've had to. Right. But it's only recently that I've been working with this company that I'm, I'm just a director. I'm like hired as a director editor. That's like what my job is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find myself overstepping my bounds into producing all the time yeah and they have their producers right <laughs> and they're right. like hey hey look like i've had to be called in the office like three times yeah because i keep on doing producer things and not just director things yeah and it's just like it's really hard for me to like you know like separate them because i've it's been intertwined so long so i'm basically trying to learn to, to be able to turn it on and off so like when i'm working for somebody as a director for hire i'm i'm it's off and then when I'm yeah. when I'm doing my own personal project, when I'm working on the altar in it, it's it's full on, you know. So totally, I would say that I have a harder time turning it off. Yeah, it's been it's been a struggle. It's a, it's a definitely a fine line because, like, as as the three of us all agree, you know, we have producers, mm-hmm. but part of our job, you know, whether it's just in our minds or not, is to is to do producing. So yeah, it's definitely kind of a um, a fine line and knowing where your boundaries are and respecting your producers that you have as collaborators as well. Yeah. For me, it's really hard to turn the, I'm also like a very anxious person by nature and very neurotic. So (laughs) it's really hard for me to like detach from the production aspect during the shoot. I know that I was definitely, to me, I think I, I, yeah. Overstepping my boundaries a little bit, if you will. (laughs) It's interesting because for me, like you guys, my mind is, I mean, I'm similar to you, Maria. I I do a lot of um, corporate and commercial stuff here in the Bay, uh, just like you too, Oliver. We all do. But so your mind is always going to kind of the nuts and bolts and, and, and your budget and getting in on time. And so for me, I actually have to make to, I, I make a, an hour and a half at least in the morning to focus purely on the, the writing. Otherwise, my mind will because for me, at least the producing stuff is easy. It's kind of like math. You know, you kind of have to make these calls. You have to kind of put this in this Excel. It's kind of a, a more rote thing where it's, it's easier to do. But I think the creative 
for myself at least, I have to make space for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people are that way. I, I know I am too. Like, I, it's hard for me to just write for 30 minutes or write for 20 minutes, you know? It's like you really do have to get into, or at least for me as well, I have to get into my own, to my zone before I can actually do something yeah. creative. You got to rev up the engine too. You got to like kind of get warmed up before the, <laughs> yeah. the you know, right? I'm not so good with set, setting time aside. I know Timothy's really good at that too. He has like an hour, an hour and a half in the morning that he always gives to his writing. Um, and it sounds like you do the same thing. And, and I just, I have not been able to do that yet. I'm, I'm so, I so bounce from things from task to task based off of need. Like if I have an edit due this week, then I'll get up early and, and edit before I go to my other job. Or if I have, you know, this, this job that you, then I'm doing all the prep for that job or whatever, you know, it's like, I'm just doing things based off of like immediate need. Or if I have a podcast to edit, that's due. <laughs> I have to wake up early and edit yeah. the podcast. You know, <laughs> it's not like I could, it's like, I've found it very hard to like give myself an hour a day just for the writing. Yeah. And I think maybe that's just, I need to work on that discipline and just make it happen, you know, but, um, yeah, I'm not there yet. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't believe so, in it, so. <laughs> oh, you don't believe in it? No. Can you talk about that a little bit, Maria? Um, I, I don't know. I think it's more like, I'm more like story-based, you know? Like, when the story's there, like, and you, it's your friend, you know? You have a friendly relationship with the story, you want to make it, then you'll find time to make it, you know? It just has to be, exci- it's, it has to stay exciting. I don't mm. um, believe in, like, it's not, not, I don't believe. I know people do it and are super successful at it. Um, <laughs> you know, it's not like I don't believe right. it doesn't happen. Um, right. But personally, like, I don't think it would be beneficial for me to sit down for half an hour and try to force myself to write. Um, right. I do it when the story calls for it. And I will have, like, I'll have dry spells, you know. There will be, like, three, four months where I don't write anything because I'm just, like, not wow. into it. Yeah. Um, it's got to come. You got to have be inspired. Yeah. You got to have the muse visit you. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. So before we, we get on to either post or, or production, I have one more question. Go for it. What advice would you give to filmmakers who are raising money for their features? Like what, what would you tell somebody like me who's like trying to make it happen? I mean, I think that you hear all the time that like just leave, you know, no rock unturned. Um, talk to everybody about your film. Be sincere and direct about what your needs are. Um, you get in life what you have the courage to ask for. If you don't ask, you never know if it will be there. And I think that a lot of people don't ask because they're scared of rejection, you know? And I think, I mean, I read an article a couple, a year ago that like stuck with me where it's like, you should be aiming for a hundred rejections, like count your rejections as rewards instead of as, um, Mm. you know, counting against you. So aim for a hundred rejections and somewhere along the way, you're going to get a bunch of yeses. Oh, nice. Um, And more than that, like, I think, be resourceful like be scrappy and make it work for you like after the second time that we run out of funding you know we were like all right we're gonna give ourselves a date to come up with the money again you know and I think it was Alex that asked he was like and what happens if we don't have all the money by that date you know and I was like well we're fucking making a movie anyway you know because we didn't just like fundraise for a year and a half to not make one so we'll make it work um and that was like my 18th edit of the script was just like editing things out that you know were expensive it was just like editing for the budget that we had wow um changing a few locations etc and then like another thing like so uh two big things that happened one of them was we started approaching restaurants in temescal because we shot the whole thing in oakland um really close to like that macarthur strip 
was it, was it the MacArthur Strip? Right. Um, and almost our entire catering was sponsored. Oh, wow. That's awesome. That's like almost $15,000 worth of food um, that was sponsored like lunch and dinner by different restaurants on the, st- on the Strip. Um, That's amazing. And it was delicious and how, and food. And you know, you we had like them? Burma Superstar and Doña Tomas and, you know, like different thing, people that were just like super down to help and participate in and project so definitely so how did you how did you approach them to become sponsors so i so through the seed and spark thing which i know everybody hates crowdfunding but one thing that seed and spark like instills in you is that you're building audience and they give you like the mailing list at the end right like you're getting followers people can follow your project without contributing to it so we have like every time i send like an update of where we're at i get like maybe 15 emails in response, a lot of them from people I've never heard of, from like friends of friends that asked friends to follow our project because it was a competition. Um, And you also are like familiar with all these other films, right? Like that you also followed, blah, blah, blah. You know, it was a rally. And I saw one of the films in Austin, who's actually by like a couple of filmmakers in Austin that I know. And I kept seeing them on their social media thank restaurants, (laughs) you know, where they were like, thank you for the delicious sandwiches from blah, 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 you know. And I, so I reached out to them and I was like, yo, how did you get these restaurants to sponsor your project? You know? And she was like, oh, we just like sent them a letter and we're like, Hey, you know, we'll thank you in the credits. And you know, if we can do a little product placement and they all said yes. And I was like, that's crazy. So I asked her to send me her letter and she sent it to me and I saw it and like used it as a template and like created my own, you know? Wow. That's awesome. Um, I would also like that letter. I'm happy to give it to you and anyone who wants it. I think that we should share all these resources all the time. (laughs) Um, So yeah, stuff like that, you know, just get scrappy. So you just basically set a date and then no matter what money you you guys got, you you just made it with what you had, basically. Totally. That's awesome. That's great advice. Uh That's basically what I've been telling myself for the last year. It's like whatever I have in the fall or the winter, I'm going to just make it with that, you know? Totally. And And uh, it's like... I think you should. And it's, it's a humbling experience, you know, because you also like there's this whole stigma around like how much money do you have to make your film, you know? Right. Um, we made a fucking like Amazon wish list. And like I sent that out in a few of the newsletters, you know? Oh, really? And we got all of our hard drives donated. Wow. And like cases of Gatorade and water. And like people like don't want to do that kind of stuff because they think, you know, you're asking for too much and blah, blah, blah. You know, you don't want to like come off like your production is so scrappy. You want to make it look better. But in the end, like if you want to make a movie, you just have to, you know, go to the junkyard and see what you find. Wow. So just just one last question on this stuff, just because I'm very interested and I'm I'm probably going to buy you lunch to ask you more questions about this at some point. But Mm -hmm. so the seed and spark, when you get followers and you complete your campaign through seed and spark everybody who follows your movie who doesn't necessarily uh back it but if they just follow it then you get their email in in an email list at the end of the um the project so you can download your followers list as a spreadsheet directly from seed and spark wow um and and that has contact information in there as well just their email Mm -hmm. the email email. that they signed up with wow um, that's huge. It's, that's it's so huge. Huge, like Seed. There, I will. Yeah, I think Seed and Spark is are is a genius 
company. <laughs> wow. Because well, we're, we're starting to do crowdfunding probably on the alternate. And then the the woman who's going to run my crowdfunding has been sort of pushing back against Seed and Spark because she's done Indiegogo for all her successful campaigns that she's ran. And she's just like, oh, I don't really know if there's really a good reason for Seed and Spark for this. And there was something that Seed and Spark doesn't do that the that Indiegogo does do that she was like bummed out about. But I can't remember what it was. I would love but to know what because. Um, yeah, I can't remember. I mean, honestly, like I think part of the flaw is is when you go into crowdfunding which is one of the most terrifying things a human can do (laughs) (laughs) right um i think that yeah it's totally terrifying especially because like you know there's a time limit and you panic and blah 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 you know but um i think that you go into it with like only money in your mind right and Susan Spark is right when they are preaching that like you are converting audience members and it is your first audience because like i Right. send updates to these right, people, right. you know, every like two weeks and people that I would never think answered answer, you know, and they like are willing to give more, you know, they are, they want to, they want to see the movie happen. They, they're happy to hear from you, you know, that's awesome. Cool. So we are pretty short on time now and we have two other sections to go into. But why don't we go into production a little bit? Can you tell me the, just kind of start us off. What was um, uh, your favorite thing about your shoot? And what was your what was your least favorite thing about your shoot? I mean, I think my favorite part about my shoot was honestly the people. Right. I think one of I mean one of my favorite things about filmmaking in general is that it's a collaborative art, and if you are a good collaborator, then you can like make magic happen, right? Right. Um, and during the shoot, we shot for twelve days. Nine of them were in one house in Temescal. It got like pretty crowded. I lived in that house. I stayed there every night, sleeping next to the wardrobe rack, you know, with a light <laughs> that was off, propped over the bed. You know? I love it. <laughs> thinking about the next day but every day like there were we 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 used to say call it like first first in last out we're at two hours before we'd start alex bianca melanie and gavin would come over you know and we'd have coffee in the morning and just talk about you know production design uh cinematography like and the needs for the day and then at the end of the day we'd all sit down and have a beer and talk about how it went and how can we can adjust for the next day you know yeah and it was beautiful and I think that there's really something to say in like trusting your heads of department to build their own departments, you know, because uh, everybody that they brought in was just so fucking happy to be there, you know. And when we were building the schedule, because we're like, you know, paying ND wages and people, so many people are like pulling favors. We said that we were going to do 10 hour days, even though we could have really benefited from doing 12. Um, and the two days that like we went over on time. I was, like, so anxious and stressed out about it. You know, I didn't want to keep people. But, again, like, everybody was just, like, happy to be there, you know. (laughs) And, like, when they were rapping at the end of it, like, they were laughing and smiling. And I was just like, oh, my God, I cannot express how grateful I am for this group of people who all have, like, impeccable senses of humor, you know. That's awesome. And, like, storytelling. So, yeah. Definitely the collaboration of it all. And and how um, did you get, oh, did you guys watch dailies at the end of the day too? Or did you just watch as you went as needed? Um, so the first two days I watched everything. <laughs> and then after that, I would only watch the scenes that I felt like I needed to watch to make sure it was all there. Did you feel like just watching every daily was just overkill? Like you didn't really need to review everything at that moment? Totally overkill. Wow. You just like, I don't know, it's so important to process at the end of the day, you know? Right, right, right. And if you're watching all the dailies, then that's not necessarily giving you that processing time, you know? Plus, I'm sure you're, you know, 
directing you're you're not after you're, you're finished with your long day you're still kind of prepping for the next day so oh totally you're, yeah you're, you're, like mean, you're doing like 16 17 hour days for sure and it's just like one giant adrenaline rush you know yeah. i feel like those 12 days were just one really long day for me so yeah definitely like i totally agree and then you just mentioned four people and i know all those people they're, they're all great so the bay area as, as alec knows too the bay area film community is, is amazing and wonderful we all love it yeah um uh, what what would you say is the, the was the most challenging or what was the part that you didn't like? Um, da, 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 da. So there were two scenes <laughs> that were like really hard to shoot. Uh, and now like in retrospect, we all joke around about scene 100, you know, um, <laughs> right. it was actually scene 100. And everything that could possibly go wrong did go wrong. Things that we didn't foresee in pre-production, you know. Um, and then during it, we like that scene took us the time that we had planned to shoot shoot three scenes in. Oh wow! And it went into lunch. <laughs> oh my gosh! So it was brutal. And as I said, like we shot the whole thing. And, and and what what about it was so tough? I think everything. Like I mean, we decorated the whole room, and it was like all based around a bookshelf. And we when we like decorated the living room, we weren't. I don't know. It just looked like such a beautiful living room. Melanie did such a great job. And we didn't realize like where we had placed the bookshelf. So we kind of like wrote ourselves into a corner. And then there was just like, there's a bunch of continuity issues. The sound wasn't working as well. You know, there's like the wiring in the house was weird. So there was like parts where we'd get a lot of static. Um, Oh, interesting. And after a while, like there were like the actors were having trouble with their lines on it. It was just, it was everything that could possibly go wrong with a scene was going wrong, you know? We were losing wow. light. <laughs> um, so how did you overcome that, those challenges? Did you just get through it? Um, barely. That was like the one scene in it that, and again, like we were shooting all in one house and at the end of the house, we we had a break for lunch and there was like nowhere to go. <laughs> like even the bathroom was being prepped for the next scene and I was like, I need to go somewhere where I can just sit down for like 10 minutes by myself, you know? And that space didn't exist. And we we had two kids on set with us the entire time. So, you know, Um, so that was definitely like the hardest part, I would say. Uh, Not having space, you know, enough space. It's like 12 people in one house. It gets very crowded. Were you able to make that scene work in post? Is it? Yeah. And that goes, I'm going to shout out Anna Rotke, who's like our editor. And she is just a sorceress and magical editor. And I don't understand why anybody would work with anybody else. <laughs> yeah. You know, if I, if I can share a story, you know, um, I, I think I, I was talking with you, Maria, at a, at a, at a, at a film event and I was saying, Hey, you know, for me, when I, when I saw my, my assembly, my first cut, I was like about to like give up on, on doing film, <laughs> you know, Oh God, this is, we don't have a movie. It's over. But I was very um, impressed when you when you were like, "Hey, you know, we saw our first cut, and, and it turned out pretty good." Yeah. So, uh, shout out to your editor. She's amazing. We we have we're picture we're really really close to picture lock, um, and we have that scheduled for the this Monday the twentieth. Nice. And like the hardest part about that is going to be like not hanging out with Anna anymore. Yeah. Like she's the last person I talked to last night before I went to sleep. <laughs> It's 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 amazing. Like I, I will say, after living in the Bay Area for I think four and a half, five years now, I lived in LA beforehand. Mm-hmm. I love I love the Bay Area film community. Everyone is so um, supportive. Uh, everyone honestly wants to make great projects. People like working together. Totally. Um, it's it's wonderful. Yeah. Oh, and I was gonna say, and then there was like one more scene. <laughs> There's like a surprise party scene in my film that is like really key to the entire story. 
Um, and the day that we shot that happened to be the day that my tiniest talent, my little actor, turned seven. So they were like, oh, wow. oh it's oh, already wow. going to be decorated, you know, blah, blah, blah. So we'll like, you know, also just pull out a cake and celebrate for her. And like, again, with like just having an awesome team and like the transparency of it all. After scene 100, this is this was like on almost on our last day on set, I think second to last day in the house before we moved to our hospital location and scene 100 like had left such a scar on me you know and then I was like oh my god this is a surprise party scene we're gonna have like 15 extras and then there's gonna be like the actual surprise for like our seven-year-old you know and it's such a key scene in the film you know that I was like full-on like about to have a panic attack that we and we're shooting it like at sunset like at dusk you know so we have like a limited amount of takes and like Alex like Melanie made a joke at my expense because we were like outside and I was like, all right, you guys, everybody, we have to be on our game, you know, we could like really fuck this up. What are we going to do? If we don't have this, we don't have a movie. And Alex was like, all right, everybody listen to our fearful leader, you know, and get set. <laughs> oh, that's, and it was that's just funny. so funny. Like, he's just like the funniest guy to have on set. And afterwards, like I saw a BTS photo of me like leaning against the door. And I'm like shocked that anybody even listened to me directing that day, which everybody did. Thank God, you know, because I look like I'm going to have like a heart attack. Like I look like I'm about to like piss my pants standing in the door. That's so funny. Um, wow. But that scene turned out like beautifully as well. Anyway, but those are like my two moments on set that like are worth highlighting as not being, you know, the dreamland that the rest of it was. That's funny. Well, you're always going to have those tough scenes or those tough days, right? Like, it's not all going to be sunshine and flowers all the way through. But in retrospect, they were both, like, you know, really good. I don't... That's awesome. wouldn't change either of them. Oh, that's great. That's even better. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm curious, uh, through making this, this film, what have you learned uh, about being a director that you didn't know uh, going into this project? So I think that, like, something that I realized... I learned has changed in me <laughs> more than just like something new that I learned is like how I collaborate with other departments. Um, like if I have an idea and I can tell that like Gavin, for instance, who's like the director of photography doesn't think it's a good idea. <laughs> I need him. I need us to talk about it till it's solved. You know, I needed him to like convince me that I'm, you know, that my idea is wrong or I need to be able to convince him. So I think that like my value for collaboration, like in that aspect has changed a lot. Like I need to understand exactly why somebody doesn't agree with me before I move on. Like it needs but before you, before you do it or before you move on from, from that, that problem before I, what do you mean? Those sound like the same thing to me. Well, like if like, let's say it's a shot or, or a way to approach a scene. Like, are you saying that before you approach, like you actually shoot the scene that you want to be on the same page as Gavin? Or are you saying like, before you move on, like leave, like finish shooting the scene, you want to make sure that you guys are both comfortable before we shoot it and during it, depending on like when the problem arises, you know, but sometimes like I could tell and like the same goes with Anna now that we're like working in post, you know, that I can tell that they have doubt, you know, <laughs> written on their faces. <laughs> right, right, and I'm like, right, I need right, to understand right. why, you know, and when I understand why, if we understand each other entirely, you know, um, and we still disagree, then I'm like, all right, let's just do this. You know, often I'll be like, all right, let's just do both because maybe I am wrong. But like the collaboration is so important to me. You know, I want to make sure that like, oh, we're yeah. all making the same movie. Yeah. Well, the reason why I said that was because like, I think sometimes, um, you have an idea, your director of photography is not so sure it's a good idea. Mm -hmm. Then you do the idea 
and then they'll be like, oh, I, yeah, that actually worked really well. Great idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? So that's why I was saying, like, oh, sometimes for me, you know, I just want my, I need my team to trust me just to try it, just to see, because maybe they're not seeing what I'm seeing until they see it, you know? Totally. Um, but I think you're saying the same thing. Yeah, yeah, basically. yeah. That's awesome. So basically learning to be a better collaborator and to be on the same page yeah. with, with your team and then not, and not to like just, you know, let either side just go without both sides being on the same page. Basically. Totally. Like the collaboration nice. is just like, it's the most beautiful part about filmmaking. You know, it's the only art that like oh. requires it as intensely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I used to, you know, buy drink the Kool-Aid of the whole auteur thing, you know, especially like coming up as a film student and watching all these great directors like Tarantino and Scorsese and all these people and Eastwood or whatever. And then you, you realize that, you know, they're not doing it alone. Like they have a wonderful, amazing teams with them all the way through. It's not just this one person that's making this movie great. It's actually like all the department heads, all the crew members, everybody working together. And totally. it didn't really learn that until much later, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then, and then I was like, Oh yeah, it is about the collab collaboration. And then luckily when I went to my first short film, I already was on that sort of mindset and, you know, I just leaned on everybody and I think that's what made the project work out well. Yeah, same. Know? And the more projects I do, the more I lean, you know, <laughs> the more important everybody yeah. becomes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Here, here's a question for you guys. And, th and this is like, because um, we all f are, are, are in the same world. How would you, Maria, how would you differentiate the the sort of day job production you do versus your, your 12 days on production for Bring Me an Avocado? Were there similarities? I mean, we all know there's a lot of differences, but did you take anything from the corporate work to the to the to your feature production? Um, you know, I think that the one thing that it helped for us, like having like a corporate background is the pace, right? Because when you're right. working on indie features, you don't have like the leisure of like longer days, you know, and like taking time, you just like cram pages into each day so having like an agility for like corporate pace you know right i think really helped us all out on set and i mean everyone everyone on the in the bay area has both experiences i think that is working on film yeah i totally agree i think like <clears throat> having you know done so many corporate slash commercial shoots helped get like everything everything done on time exactly you know? I, I think that's a big, big help for all of us here in the Bay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, you know, everybody who does corporate video or, or commercial video production and, and they also do narrative, I'm sure they take something from that experience into their, their creative work, you know, but I think for, to some degree, like a lot of the stuff I do is so different. Cause it's like, I, you know, I have either a tiny, tiny crew for the corporate video stuff um, or it's just me, or then sometimes it's the exact opposite. I'll be on a project with like a 50 person crew. Right, right. And it's like, oh, <laughs> I'll never have that many people on, on a movie. So it just doesn't really translate. But I, I feel like, you know, or, or I don't, or I'll have more people, you know? So it's like either way, it's like, you know, it doesn't, it's hard to make the, the exact comparison. But I think no matter what, you're always learning something about the craft every time you, you practice it one way or the other. And so hopefully you'll be able to, you know, take something over to to the to the creative project absolutely you know if, if 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 only like getting to meet more wonderful people on a new set and then you know maybe that person wants to work on a movie or that person is interested in in science fiction and then all of a sudden you know it's a new collaborator that you run into you know absolutely yeah um so 
I, uh, I I have millions more questions for you, Maria, uh, but we're we're over an hour here, so we should probably start wrapping it up. Um, Kuang, do you have any final questions for Maria or a final question you want to ask before we wrap things up? Um, yeah, actually, you know, so if there's if there's one, um, you know, if there's one thing you're going to take from from this project, Maria, and, and take it to the rest of your filmmaking career, what, what do you think is going to be the, the one thing that you're going to take from from bring me an avocado to, to your future projects. Can I say my crew again? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just like no, you can't. the same people. Um, they're, they're all great. They're all great. Yeah. I've worked with Gavin a million times. <laughs> I, I don't know. That's a, that's a good one to answer. It's a good question. I think I'm a little bit bolder now <laughs> um, and a lot more direct, which is why I was pushing that earlier. You know, I think that, I'm way more willing to ask exactly for what I need and what I want. And I think that's going to be something important to take on to the next one. That's great. Nice. Speaking to a filmmaker who's about to go into their first feature, what thing would you say that they shouldn't do uh, that you may have done in a previous production or that you, you, you know, would be like, just, you know, not a good idea. (laughs) Something that you shouldn't do. So we did (laughs) six day weeks. And if possible at all, I would do five-day weeks. Oh, five-day weeks. Uh, I know that six-day weeks is something that people are like, uh, yeah, you know, we can do it. It saves money, blah, 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 you know. But, like, two days of rest, you know. Yeah, that's that's nice. Yeah. And did you like doing 10-hour days or would you have preferred to do 12? Um I liked doing 10-hour days. I mean, because I didn't do 10-hour days. Right, of course. You did, like, 14-hour days. So I liked that we were only shooting for 10 hours and having, like, two hours of planning before and two hours of debriefing after, you know, like, processing. I think it was, like, the right way to go. Nice. Do you think it would have worked with a bigger crew, or do you think that it was partially because your crew size was just about right to make that happen? I think the crew size was perfect for ours. Because you said 12, right? Uh, so it ended up being, we had more PAs on different days. Okay. So I don't think it was 12 every day. It varied. Plus you had kids. So I'm sure kids limited your amount of time you could work. Yeah. Oh yeah. Kids and their parents and all the, yeah. We had families. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Wow. That's awesome. Well, I think we should wrap this up. Where can people learn about your project? Do you have a website? Do you have a... a... We do. Bringmeanavocado.com. Um, and we're... And are you on Twitter and Facebook? Yeah, exactly. Bring Me an Avocado on Facebook. Bring Me an Avocado on Instagram. <laughs> I think it's Bring Me Avocado without the N on Twitter. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> because of character limitations. But we're, we're everywhere. And then do you have, uh, I don't know, your own website as a director or... Twitter or any of that stuff, or is it just all bring me an avocado? Um, I have uh, my own Instagram, Twitter, and website. My website probably hasn't been updated since 2015, but uh, <laughs> um, nice, <laughs> it exists. <laughs> awesome. Well, we'll have all that stuff in the show notes. And uh, Kuang, you want to take us out with the outro here? Sure thing. Hey, so thanks for listening, and thanks to Maria for being a great guest in the show. Um, you can check out uh, the Making Movies is Hard website, makingmoviesishard.com. You can find links to what we're talking about. If you want to send us an email, send it to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook. And if you like the show, please tell a friend, help get the word out. Thank you, Maria and uh, Alric, and we'll see you guys next week.